It's good to be back. We, uh, man, four weeks is, is, is a long time, and uh, we're just really, really glad to be home. Uh, I'm not used to this. You can tell I went off and, because I went off this morning and left my reading glasses at home, uh, that would have never happened before. Uh, but it happened this time, so I had to stop by the drugstore and pick up some reading glasses, and I was having problems in Bible class, but I think things are going to work out here okay. Um, I've got some good news for you. We need some good news, don't we? Yeah, what is the sermon title? I don't remember what I put down there. What is it? It's not about rules, and that's the good news. Um, I think what happens is, especially to us preachers and some of you who are really good Bible students, you do a lot of reading, and what we end up reading mostly are the epistles. And the... The thing about epistles, the letters, that's a, epistles is a big word for letters in the New Testament. And it's good to study them, but the problem is, is a lot of times we let the, what we're studying in the epistles affect how we view God. What I mean by that is we forget that the letters are written to churches by the apostles to correct problems. And so there's a lot of stern correction going on in there. And we walk away and that becomes our impression of who God is. If I came to visit you at your home, on a somewhat regular basis. But every time I came over, you're in the process of correcting one of your kids. And there's a big row going on and yelling, and I'm assuming that there's some yelling when you correct your kids, and, 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 and maybe uh, some disciplinary action. And every time I come to your house, that's what's going on. And so my impression, I'm seeing only the corrective thing going on, and I'm not seeing the other side, right? And so my impression of your family is skewed to, in that direction. I'm thinking that your, your family is all about rules and spankings and, oh, not supposed to do spankings anymore, but, you know, corrections, whatever that includes, and... And uh, so I get kind of a, a, a bad impression, not a bad impression, I just get a wrong impression of, of your family. And the reality is, is that that's not the picture of God. That's a side of it. It's part of it. But the picture of God is presented to us by Jesus. And if we get a picture of God that's different from the picture Jesus gives us of God the Father, then we've got the wrong picture. Okay? Uh, it's interesting, in, in, first, in John chapter 1, 
the Apostle John says in, in his introductory remarks there in chapter 1 of John, verse 18, he says, No one has seen God at any time. Okay, there you go. Nobody has seen him. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. He's talking about Jesus. Okay, let's boil that down into simple language. Nobody has seen God at any time, but Jesus is explaining what he's like. What is God like? Look at Jesus. How does God think? Look at Jesus. How does God feel? Look at Jesus. And the picture we get of God from Jesus is a much brighter picture, I believe, than we get if we're just walking in on the family when they're fussing and correcting, right? I mean, Paul has got some pretty stern things to say about adultery, okay? And he warns the church not to be out adulterating, don't go out and commit adultery, and it's very stern, very strong, but when I look at Jesus, he's telling the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. Well, of course, there's got to be a balance there because otherwise Paul would not be warning the church. But what we've done is we've stepped into a family situation where Paul is trying to correct a problem and we get a skewed picture. And so the picture that we get is that, what, what is the picture that Jesus gives us of God? How does God feel about us? And how does he think about us? And how does he view us? And I think Jesus went through his life, it says, explaining God. By the way, that I know for Dennis's benefit, where is he? I saw him here. There he is. The word there for explains is he exegetes. He exegetes God. And exegete means it's what Bible scholars do when they take a passage of Scripture and they draw the meaning out of it, every word and every syllable and so on. And that's exegete. And so Jesus is exegeting God. He's explaining him in depth. And so when we look at Jesus, Jesus what do we see? Do we see a stern, uh, heavy-handed uh, person? No, we see someone who's gentle. We see someone who's, who's forgiving. We see someone, listen to this, who's not judgmental. I think the greatest example, and we all know the stories, but the, the greatest example comes when Jesus one day was eating with thieves, tax collectors. Now, we all know the tax collectors are thieves, right? Well, they were in the first century <laughs> uh, because they weren't governed very well and they could collect more taxes than you owed and pocket the difference, and they all did. But he was eating with tax collectors and and prostitutes and the religious leaders were very upset with this this is in Luke Gospel of Luke 
And they were very upset with this. And they said, look, you're, you're eating with, with prostitutes and thieves. And so Jesus tells them a series of three parables. And the first one is the parable of a, of a widow woman who lost a coin. Of course, the coin, she had, I think, ten coins or were there twelve? I don't remember. Read it. It's in there somewhere. And she lost one of the coins. And this is part, these were not just, you know, 25 cents. One coin could be a year's salary. <laughs> and it's part of her inheritance as a widow. And she loses a coin and she's searching and, and she finds the coin and she calls her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me because I found our coin, the coin. And he says, You'd rejoice with this widow woman who found her coin. And they're going, That's right. And then he tells the story of the shepherd who have a hundred sheep. One of them wanders off and he has to go off and find this sheep. And he finds the sheep and comes back and calls his friends together and says, Rejoice with me, I found this sheep that was lost. And everybody rejoices. And, and the hearers of the parable, these uh, Pharisees and scribes who were so upset with Jesus because he was eating with sinners, they're hearing this for the first time. And they said, yeah, I'd rejoice with the woman who finds her coin. Yes, we would rejoice with the shepherd who finds his sheep. And then Jesus tells them the story of a man who lost his son. And he finds his son. He said, you'll rejoice over finding the coin. You'll rejoice over finding the sheep, but you won't rejoice with the father who finds his son. And, and the point of that parable is that it really, the, it really expresses God's attitude. Remember, Jesus is exegeting. He's explaining God to us. And, and the point of the parable is it's, it's explaining God. And we, we Westerners, I think, miss some of the significance of the parable because we're 2,000 years removed. We live in a big city and not a village. And we're, gent we're a bunch of Greek Gentiles and not Jews. So we, and, and we're separated by language and culture. But, and that causes us, we get the parable. We can understand the parable, okay? But there's a lot of unspoken things that go on in this parable that, that help, that prevents us from understanding the huge significance of what the father did. And, and the, the story is, is there's two boys. One's the younger one, and he, he wants his inheritance. And the thing is, that's like a death wish on the old man because... The money is supposed to go for his retirement until he dies, and then is when it's divided up. For the boy says, I want my money now, is to, like, to say, I don't care what happens to you. I want what's mine. I want my money now. And the father lets him have it. Now, the other thing that kind of goes unnoticed by us, how many of you are from a small town? Okay, some of you are going to get this. Can anything go on in that small town without everybody and, and his dog knowing about it? No. no. I mean, everybody knows about it. And so everybody in the, in the village knows what's going on here. And there's, in, there's, there's that unspoken expectation. And the unspoken expectation is that the father would become wrathful towards his son because the son is bringing shame on the family. And shame is a huge issue in the East, bigger than here. 
And so the, the idea is, is that what they expected the father to do was to bring the boy out and whip him. Whip him in public for bringing shame on the family. But instead of doing that, the father gives him his inheritance. The boy goes off. He blows it on wild living. You know, what's a boy to do? And then he comes to his senses, and he's, he, he's, in, a, he's in a pig pen desiring the food that the pigs are eating. Have any of you ever slopped hogs? I have too. Okay, I can't imagine desiring the slop that I was feeding. They called it slop here in Oklahoma, by the way. And uh, I can't imagine desiring that. But that describes how hungry he was. And so he says, well, I'm going to go home to my dad and, and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, make me as one of your slaves. And he said, at least I'll eat. So he goes home, and it says the father saw him at a distance. Yeah. Now, here comes the unspoken expectation. The reason I know this is there was a, there's a good book on this. can't remember the name of it, but it comes from old age. But there's a good book on this. Uh, that uh, where there was a uh, professor of the University in Lebanon who uh, found villages in the Middle East there in the area where Jesus lived where change was a huge taboo. Here we like change, there they don't. He found villages where they didn't even have cars. And, and so he would sit down at the village gate with the elders and read these parables to them. And he had like five or six villages that he did this with. And when, the, when all villages, all, the, all of the responses were the same, he records it in this book as part of the cultural response. And so what is, unex, what is unspoken here is the village fully expected, since the boy has brought shame upon the family, caused them to lose face, is that his father would take the boy and whip him and beat him and make him one of the slaves. And that's what the boy was suggesting. Make me one of your slaves. That's what they expected to happen. The father sees the boy coming, and it says he ran to him. Uh, that was another unexpected thing. The father brought shame upon himself by running to the boy. Now, uh, I don't know if, if any of you have been in parts of the world where men wear skirts. Um, when Becky and I went to India many years ago, all of the men wore skirts wrapped wrap around. And when they have to move quickly, they have to do what you ladies have to do. If you need to move, they reach down, they grab the skirt, and they pull it up. And their legs are showing. Well, in order for the father, this is all, we don't understand this because we're not from that part of the world, but <clears throat> what they're seeing when Jesus is telling this parable is this old man is pulling his skirt up, showing his bare legs and running to the boy, bringing huge shame upon himself. And then instead of whooping the kid, like the village expected, he embraces him and he throws a party for him. And so he brings the shame that would have, suddenly the shame that would have fallen upon the boy comes upon the father. 
Now remember, who are we looking at here? Who are we understanding about? We're, we're looking at God. And, and God, the, the, the father didn't stand back and said, well, yeah, okay, uh, you did this and this and this, and so you're going to have to pay this, this, and this, and yes, I am going to have to whip you, and I'm going to make you a slave for a while. He doesn't. He takes him immediately, accepts him. <clears throat> now, did the father have the right to whip the boy? Yes. It was even expected. Would he have been just in whipping the boy? Would he have been right to put the boy in a lower status like a slave? Would he have been just to do it? You know, I mentioned Jesus, the, the woman that was caught in adultery. Don't forget, we're looking at God here. <clears throat> Jesus is exegeting God. How does God feel about a woman caught in adultery? And the, these, the men of the city brought her to before Jesus, put her in front of him, and says, the law says to kill her. What do you say? Well, would Jesus have been just had he said, yeah, you're right, the law says to kill her, go ahead and kill her. Would he have been just to do that? Would it have been right for him to do that? Come on. Yes. It would have been just and it would have been right. He was following the letter of the law. But Jesus talks them out of it. He says, let the one without sin cast the stone. Well, consequently, the only one without sin was Jesus. And he was the one who was unwilling to cast the stone. And he forgives her. And I... And and I, I, I'm realizing that the picture that we need to have of God is Father. And not judge. If you begin to get a picture of God that, it, that goes outside of that picture, I, I've, got, I've got three children, two of which are here, so I'm a little bit hesitant to talk about them. But I'll not be specific enough that it'll be a problem, I don't think. But I can say that none of my kids did, kept all the rules. We had household rules. And I had rules for them individually. And they did not keep the rules. 
and I'm pretty certain that all of you who have children, your children have not kept the rules unless they're so little they don't know better. And if you have little children, just wait. <laughs> but you know what? My relationship with my children are not based on their keeping rules. Now we have rules and rules are important. I don't, we don't just make rules for our kids arbitrarily and just say, well, I want to just see if they can keep this one. But we have rules, generally we have rules that are for their benefit. You know, it's kind of like one day, I told Aaron when he was little, he probably doesn't remember this, uh, but uh, he had, uh, he had threatened his mother, talked real harshly to her, and I sat down with him, I said, son, I love you, I want you to grow up to be a happy man. I said, so don't ever do that again. Otherwise, you won't grow up to be a happy man. <laughs> you know? Well, th this was for his benefit. It was not just because me. Let's see, what kind of rules can I come up with today? Why don't we do that? Because our relationship with our family, with our children, is not based in how they keep rules. Rules is not what the family is about, right? And, but, but what the family is about is a love relationship. I want a relationship with my kids more than I want them to keep rules. Really, don't you? And, and, and rules are important. Jesus even said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I mean, there's, there's a relationship there. But the commandments is not the basis of the relationship. The basis of the relationship is love. And I desire the relationship so much that I forgive the breaking of the rules. I overlook the rules many times because I want to maintain that relationship. I love them. You know, I've been, since Kent has taken over the position here as pulpit minister, I've been sitting back here uh, <clears throat> where my wife is sitting now. We've been sitting in that area and sometime over here. And the kids all sit kind of in that area next to us. And it's not unusual for one or two of them to get kind of out of control. Now, parents, don't take offense at this because I've been there and done that and got the T-shirt too, okay? But they're making noise. And I'm trying to listen to the sermon. I hope y'all don't move away from sitting next to me because I'm saying this. I understand it because, like I said, I've got the T-shirt on this deal. But they're making noise, and I'm sitting there trying to listen to the sermon, I'm and I turn around and I look and I'm, I'm seeing the kid and they're just making noise and diddling around and banging and talking out loud. And <clears throat> parents don't act like they even hear it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what, what's, what's wrong with them? Do, are they deaf? Can they not hear this 
child making all this noise? And, and, uh, but it reminds, what? Selective hearing. So, well, but it is selective hearing. You are absolutely right. And if Peter, the apostle Peter, had had that language, he would have said that. In 1 Peter 4, verse 8, he says, But above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And he would have said, because love has selective hearing. <laughs> you know what? They don't hear that child. When I look back and I say, don't they hear? They don't hear it. You know why? Because of love. They love them. And, and so he's not bothering them. And, and you see, that's the way a family is. And, and when we finally begin to get a hold of this and to realize that this is our, this is talking about our relationship with God. That we're his kids. And he has selective hearing because of that. And we go off and we do something stupid. We commit adultery. We, we get divorces. We, uh, we sometimes act hatefully. Uh, we, we get drunk. We do terrible things. We gossip. We do things and we come back to him and our heart is broken and we say, Father, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what got into me. I'm sorry. He says, come here. And he wraps his arms around us and loves us. And we say, just make me a slave. And he said, are you kidding me? Come here. And he loves us. And he embraces us. He said, yeah, but I committed adultery. And he said, forget it. Come here. Just don't do it anymore. Is that good news? Jesus shows us about God. And so from now on, when I read the letters, I read them from the standpoint of I've, I've walked in on a family feud here. They're trying to correct some problems. And there's some discipline going on there. But when I read the Gospels, Jesus is saying, look here. Look at how God feels about you. Look at how much he loves you. Look how, how much selective hearing he has. He's just not going to hold sin against you. Thank you. And that's Bible. Okay, listen. If you're not a Christian... Jesus said, if you'll believe the gospel, believe that he came, he went to the cross to, to die for us, he was resurrected to bring life, new life into us, and he said, if you'll believe that and get baptized, I'll save you. No works, no money, no 
penance, no, no uh, same certain number of uh, uh, Hail Marys or anything. You just get baptized, believing in him, and he'll save you. And then you become one of the official family. And God then has selective hearing. He's not going to hear your fussing and fighting and mistakes. He's just going to wrap his arms around you and keep on loving you. If you haven't done that, you need to do that, really. If you haven't been baptized, you need to do that. And if you have, I want you to just rejoice. <laughs> I want you to just rejoice. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. What does that sound like? Make a joyful noise right now. All right. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. Let's have an invitation song. Stand up. Let's sing a song. Times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom we all hold dear. Now's at stake. Humble your hearts to God, safe from the chasing rod. Seek the way, pilgrims strong, Christians awake. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom, trumpets will sound. All of the dead shall rise, righteous meet in the skies, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Love is so many cold, home of gold, this is God's will, is told, evils abound. When the signs come to pass, nearing the end at last, it will come very fast, trumpets will sound.